Welcome to Family Life Today, brought to you with the compliments of this station and power to change. We're always encouraged to receive your feedback and comments on the program, but I'll tell you how you can do that at the conclusion. But now, here are your Family Life Today presenters, Dave and Ann Wilson. Well, we are back to talk about the best of Family Life Today. I know, that's kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah, we got David and Meg Robbins back in with us as well, the president of Family Life. You know, hey, it's team. A, it's, it's good an to be honor here. to have you guys in here. It's and always I know fun you, to be in here. You don't just lead this ministry. You actually listen to Family Life Today. We do. <laughs> tell, tell, most often we listen to Family Life Today. Where do you listen? I usually listen while I'm working out. And I got a 21-minute commute, and I'm able to listen to all of it. Nice. Almost. Oh, Sit in really? the parking lot for the ending. Well, today's going to be fun because we're going to talk about trusting God in hard things. And we've had some people this past year that have had some incredible stories and testimonies of how God has been working in the midst of that. And one of those was Laura Story. If you don't know who she is, she's a Grammy Award winner. She's on Billboard Music Awards, Dove Awards, and she's really a great worship leader at heart. Her story really begins as a young married wife, married to Martin, and he's diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it's exactly the opposite of what they thought their dreams of their marriage would be. But he ended up having surgery, and he had a lot of side effects from that surgery. So Laura basically has been on the road. She's traveling. She's doing concert because Martin can no longer hold the same job that he had before. But as she's talking about this whole story, she's realizing in this clip how Martin and his disability has impacted their children in a positive way. Our greatest fear having kids was how Martin's disability would negatively affect our children. Hmm. Okay? That was Martin's greatest fear. I knew God would take care of it, but I think when I'm really being honest, that was a big fear of mine as well. And what we're seeing and learning is, yes, things look different for our kids. Yes, there's limitations that we can't, we're not going to sugarcoat. But Martin's disability has been one of the clearest ways we have seen God work in our family. It's been one of the clearest ways we've seen God work in the lives of our children. I was picking up Josie from preschool. This was a few years ago. And I take my kids on the road with me. So we'll be on the road until like late at night or early in the morning, however you want to, however you want to see it. And we had had one of those where I brought Josie to preschool on probably five hours of sleep. You know, terrible mom. Yeah, I get it. But I was picking her up, and the teacher said, "Hey, can I can I speak to you a second? Oh, boy, no. I was like, "No." And she pulled me aside, and she said, "I want to brag on Josie." For a second. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not at all what I was expecting to hear. <laughs> and she tells me about a boy who was joining their class who had some pretty severe learning disabilities and how Josie had been so just kind of attuned to making sure he was getting in the line when he needed to, make sure he was keeping up with everything. And the question she asked me, <laughs> question she asked me, she said, so what have you done as a mom to teach Josie to be so compassionate towards people with disabilities? <laughs> and I just, I wanted to laugh. But, and then that week I just had such a tough week. I think I had been driving around so much and I had been working so hard and sometimes 
It's like, God, I know you're working it all together for good somehow. (laughs) I'm just not seeing it. Uh, But she asks me this, and I had an opportunity to say to her, I don't know if you know, but my husband has a brain injury and pretty severe learning disability. And that is what God has used to develop that character, that endurance, and that hope in our children because he promises he's not going to waste our suffering. He's going to use it. Last night, we had our oldest son who has cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic disease that he's lived with his whole life. And he was asked by the school to write something for the school newspaper about living with cystic fibrosis. And he was very honest in the article that he wrote about some days he hates it. And some days he really, really wishes that God would take it away. Mm. But then he started recounting paragraph after paragraph of the ways that the perfect time that he was born, because of his gene type and the place he lived when we lived in Atlanta and then we moved. And he's like, he's recounting God's sovereignty. Mm. And he's being formed as a kid through his hardships and through his sufferings. And he said, kind of in the main line, Something very similar to what Laura said of just, you know, God has made a path for me. And um, Meg and I just both put it down and go, we used to read him that book, the book about Moses and Exodus, a little cardboard book. And we would just pray <laughs> over him, God, make a path for Ford. And he keeps making a way for us. And we look back on it and we go, God, you do weave it together for good. Yeah, I think sometimes when we're in the moment, in the middle of hard things, It's hard to really grasp and truly believe that God has goodness in it. And there have definitely been plenty of times in our journey when I have wrestled with what does goodness mean? Uh, But then you have these moments, like for us, for sure, last night, just hearing Ford recount God's faithfulness through his chronic illness, you know, and listening to Laura tell her story of her kids learning something they absolutely would not learn if it wasn't for the story that they're walking through. And we don't always get to see the fruit of what God's doing in the middle of it, but just leaning in to the story that he's writing and trusting that the hard things are bearing fruit in our own lives, in our kids' lives. If I'm truly honest, it is hard a lot of days to rest in that But I'm so thankful that God does love us, and he is that good. I call it seeing the miraculous in the mundane, Mm -hmm. because most days are so mundane, especially if you're walking through a difficult time. It's hard to see and hear God clearly, and yet he'll give us, just like with you guys with Ford, he'll give us this glimpse of him saying, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm using it. Don't be discouraged. And I think that's so beautiful that God will do that for Mm. us, especially when we feel discouraged and feel like, is this all going to have a negative effect on our kids or our family? Yeah, I tell you, whenever we talk about trusting God in the hard times, and we do a lot, actually, Mm -hmm. because we go through a lot of hard times. And Mm -hmm. so people come in and every time we hear a story, it's like, I need to hear that because I think it's the hardest part of the Christian life. Like, God, where are you? Why? When? And, uh, you know, Laura's story was one we got to sit down. And I tell you, I was surprised at where this went with uh, Bethany Beal and Christian Clark, who a lot of people know them from Girl Defined. And I got to be honest, when I looked at their book and looked at their ministry, they're huge on social media. 
I sort of had this perspective. Their life is sort of perfect. They are are very sharp sisters, and they're going to tell their great story, and they come in here and talk about hard times, dark times they've walked through. And it was helpful to realize even a life that looks perfect is just like everybody else. They got hard times. And at the same time, Eric Shoemaker came in, and he's written a book for husbands that have to walk through miscarriages. And so both these stories have a similar theme, and I think you're going to be encouraged by what they had to say. In my mind, the good life was to have children, to have biological children, to start a family with my husband. That was my dream that the Bible calls children a blessing. So I'm thinking, God, I'm praying a biblical prayer here. Why aren't you answering? And then when you give me this desire, I get pregnant, then you just take it away. So it really tested my identity. Like, what do I believe about God? And I think that's the biggest question is Mm. our identity starts with what we believe about God, Mm. who we believe God truly is. Because when the fires come, when the valleys come, when the trials, the unfulfilled longings, the prayers that seem like they're unanswered and we're praying them year and year on end and nothing's changing, really, it puts to the test, what do we actually believe about God? And I know for me, after my third miscarriage, which I thought for sure that one was going to stick, the help, the pregnancy was so healthy, saw the heartbeat at eight weeks. My doctor was saying, wow, everything looks great. Um, Hormones, everything was on track. And so for the first time in my entire marriage, it was eight years at this point, had those two early miscarriages, I started to hope. Uh, And I started to think hmm. this is the one that's going to stick. I was still a little hesitant to fully go there. I didn't want to think about names, you know, because I was too scared. I didn't want to think about baby showers and just like taking it one day at a time. But I started to hope. Mm. And so when I opened up my heart to hope again, and then at 11 weeks, I went into my doctor's appointment and she said, I'm so sorry, there's no longer a heartbeat. That news hit me like a gut punch to my chest like nothing ever had. And I went home and I remember my identity was shaken because what I started doing is questioning everything I knew about Mm -hmm. God. It didn't, it wasn't so much about me, but God, who are you? Why would you allow this to happen? You say you're good in scripture, but there's nothing good about this. You say you're Mm -hmm. kind. This is cruel. Mm -hmm. And what I was doing was filtering God's character through the lens of my circumstances rather than filtering my circumstances through the lens of God's character. And before we respond to Bethany and Kristen, we had Eric Shoemaker come in, and here's a husband's perspective to miscarriage as well. There's a lot of compassion shown towards the mother, but people don't know what to do with dad. Could you just address the men who have walked through this, like yes. thinking back to you going through this the first time and what you've learned, you've gone through it several times. What, is, what would be helpful that, for them to know? Mm. I think the first thing I would want to say is you are a father who has lost a child and it is good and right for you to mourn mm. and to grieve that loss it, because it's a very real loss of a child and they should never feel embarrassed or ashamed to speak of this baby as their child. The second thing I would say is Jesus sees Mm. you right where you are. Uh, He knew your baby and he knows your loss and he knows what it's like to be put in shameful situations. 
he knows what it's like to lose someone who's very precious to him. You know, he stands outside of Lazarus's tomb in John and, and he weeps. Uh, he knows what it's like to be angry at death. He, he knows all these emotions that you're feeling. Uh, the author of Hebrews says that he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful high priest. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that he had to be made human so that he could die as our substitutes, you know, dying for our sin. It's also, you know, the author goes on to say that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations because he's been in situations that are fundamentally the same. Of course, he didn't have a child miscarry, but he knew losses. He knows what it's like. And so from experience, Jesus knows what we need in these moments. And so he's a trusted friend that we can and should go to with great expectations of comfort and help. You know, as I hear these back to back, there's a flood of memories that come in for me because we've had two miscarriages. One was our first child. And then the other miscarriage was after we had had three kids. We thought, okay, that was, maybe we had this miscarriage and we're done. But then God gave us Mac, which is our little mascot. But the grief of those two were very different seasons of life, hit in different ways. But yet you had to enter into the grief. And I remember on the first one, it took me by surprise. And I'm, that's why I'm grateful for Eric's work on this because I had to learn how to not just get in touch with my own grief, but attune to yours. And I think it was one of the times that God fast forwarded some learning for me and what does it look like to grieve together and really have empathy with your spouse while you're also identifying what's going on underneath the surface in your own life. Yeah. It just kind of throws me back into some of those emotions Mm. that you are so unprepared for. I think I was really unprepared for how hard a miscarriage would be and just the real sense of loss. I think I had before I had had sisters go through that and had kind of seen it as a disappointment, which I mean, how insensitive of me. But until I went through it myself, I just didn't realize how much of a loss it was. It was a child. I think we did have some people in our life that freed us up to grieve that way. But I think as I was wrestling with it and just um, walking through the grief, I definitely got to places where the Lord had to kind of reach out his hand and say, do you trust me? And did I trust him to bring him everything I was feeling and that he could handle my emotions and even my questions, no matter what it was. And as I was wrestling with really similar things to what Kristen said, you know, I think it was just trying to wrap my mind around how is God's goodness? How is he good if he is letting us lose a child that we were excited about and had prayed for. But I love that reminder that she said that we can't look at who God is through our circumstances, but we have to look at our circumstances through who God is and that he is unchanging. It really reminds me of a story we heard about a teenager who passed away from cancer and later his parents found his journal 
And in it, he had written, the moon is always round and had kind of unpacked that to mean that no matter what the moon looks like, it's always round. You know, sometimes we see these little tiny sliver of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a half moon. Sometimes it's not visible at all. And it's a new moon. And sometimes it's full and bright and beautiful. But the actual moon itself is unchanging. And God is the exact same way to us is that sometimes we experience or see or feel different things about who he is and his character, but he is unchanging and he is faithful. And I think sometimes I do tend to quickly depend on my feelings. And I have to remember that my feelings are not very reliable, but God is, and he's unchanging. Probably the hardest truth to grasp in the Christian life, I think. Mm. I mean, there's so many. But to believe he's good, yeah, he's unchanging when my circumstances seem to say the opposite, mm-hmm. that's faith. you got to say, okay, I'm going to trust him. He's good even in this evil, dark valley that we're walking through. I'll never forget, uh, we had Eric Reed come in. He's a pastor in Lebanon, Tennessee of the Journey Church. He has walked through, he and his family, yes. A horrific story of a botched surgery ended up leading to the death of his son. And, man, to watch him wrestle through that journey. And we're going to play a clip where he was telling us a story about talking to his daughter about the loss of her brother and where God is in that. I had a really powerful conversation with my daughter, my youngest, Kyra, six years old at the time. And we were riding down the road together and she was crying. She was thinking about her brother. She said, I miss Caleb. And and she said, Dad, why did God do it this way? I gave her the really easy, good answer. I said, you know, one day when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new. And your brother is going to be restored and sin will be no more and death will be no more. And, you know, I'm thinking like she's going to be like, oh, OK, I get that, Dad. And she goes, no, but if God's going to do it that way one day, why didn't he just start it that way? I said it did start again. I'm still trying to give like some basic. I'm like, you know, it did start that way. But then we sinned and rebelled. And she's like, no, 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 Dad, I know all that. But I know one day God's going to make it where none of these things happen again. Why didn't he make it where it couldn't happen to begin with? And it was in that moment that it hit me. I was like, this is a profound question. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to say, that's not a six-year-old. That's a 60-year-old question which as told well. Me, that's right. Which told me her little mind's trying to grapple with understanding, like, how do I understand God in this world where my brother's gone? Mm-hmm. And God could have done something different. And I said, sweetheart, that is a question that philosophers and theologians have wrote major books about, but let me give you the best answer I can think of. I said, there's something about this kind of world where we experience love and then loss and hurts and pains and sadness and have to anticipate future days where those things are. There's something about this kind of world where God fixes it at the end, makes it new at the end that gives him more glory and us more joy and more understanding of who he is than a world that would not have had those experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's the only answer I know to tell you. How'd she respond? She said, I just want that day to come. Mm-hmm. Don't we all? And I said, yes, baby. That's why the Bible ends with, come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> yeah. And we live like that. It, so here's what it's really done as a family. You know, we've gone from saying, how many at the restaurant? You know, five mm-hmm. to four. 
Mm. And every time we say it, it stings. Mm. And yet we long for the day where that loss is not a reality anymore, where all things are made new. And so we long for heaven. A life with him there and us here makes us long for life there. And I think that's one of the things that suffering and pain and loss do in this world is that God actually loosens our grip on this world. The more people we lose that we love to the next world, the more we long for that world and lessen our grip on this one. I think that's right. I tell you, there's nothing I love doing more than giving hope to people. And as even as I listen to Eric again and listen to him help me, let alone millions of others, with trusting God through hard times. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. This program is brought to you each Monday to Friday through the generous gifts of everyday Australians like you. If you'd like to give a once-off gift or a monthly donation, please click the Give tab on our website at families.powertochange.org.au. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family. Thank you.